This is the Christian This is uh, reading the Christian Classics podcast, where I am trying to read some every day, primarily for myself. And I thought, hey, nobody else seems to be doing it, and I am not sure why. So I thought I'd just do it on my own and provide some running commentary at the same time. You get stuck with it, and I tend to travel on the road, so uh, you're going to get some audio, background audio to go with it, because I don't have a studio on the road, nor at the home at the moment, but that might come along. Anyways, we're going to start with Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald, and uh, for the time being, 50% or more of all the books read are going to be George McDonald is what I plan and then it's all classics because they're all free online and without restrictions so before I begin to tell you some of the things I've seen and heard both of which I have had to take a share now from the compulsion of my office now from the leading of my own heart and now from the destiny which including both so often throws the man who supposes himself a mere onlooker into the very vortex of events, that destiny which took form to the old pagans as a gray mist high behind the heads of their gods, but to us is known as an infinite love revealed in the mystery of man. I say before I begin, it is fitting that in the absence of a common friend to do that office for me, I should introduce myself to your acquaintance, and I hope coming friendship. Nor can there be any impropriety in my telling you about myself. Seeing I remain concealed behind my own words, you can never look me in the eyes, though you may look me in the soul. You may find me out, find my faults, my vanities, my sins, but you will not see me, at least in this world. To you I am but a voice revealing not a form of vision, therefore I am bold behind the mask. To speak to you to heart, bold I say, just so much more that I do not speak to you face to face. And when we meet in heaven, well there I know there is no hiding, there there is no reason for hiding anything there. The whole world, the whole desire will be in alternate revelation and vision. I am now getting old, faster and faster. I cannot help my gray hairs, nor the wrinkles that gather so slowly yet ruthlessly. No, nor the quiver that will come to in my voice, not the sense of being feeble in the knees, even when I walk only across the floor of my study, but I have not got used to age yet. I do not feel one atom older than I did at three and twenty. Nay, to tell all the truth, I feel a good deal younger. For then <laughs> I only felt that a man had to take up his cross, whereas now I feel that a man has to follow him, and that makes an unspeakable difference. When my voice quavers, I feel that it is mine and not mine, that it just belongs to me like a watch, which does not go down well. 
now that it, though it went well 30 years ago not more than a minute out in a month and when I feel my knees shake I think of them with a kind pity as I used to think of my old mare of my father's <clears throat> and when I feel my knees shake I think of them with a kind of pity as I used to think of an old mare of my father's of which I was very fond when I was a lad, and which bore me across many a field and over many fences, but which at last came to have the same weakness in her knees that I have in mine. And she knew it, too, and took care of them, and so of herself in a wise equine fashion. These things are not me, or I, if the grammarians like it better, I always feel a strife between doing as a scholar does and doing as the people do. They are not me, I have, I say, I have them please, <coughs> they are not me, I say, I have them, and please God sh shall soon have better, for it is not a pleasant thing for a young man or a young woman either. I venture to say to have an old voice and a wrinkled face, and weak knees and gray hair, or no hair at all, and if I am any moral Philistine, as our queer German brothers over the northern fish pond would call them, say that this is rubbish. For that we are old, I would answer, of all the children, how can the children of God be old? So little do I give in to calling this outside of me, that I should not present a minute description of my own person, such as would at once clear me from the suspicion of vanity in so introducing myself. Not that my honesty would result in the least from the indifference to the external, but from the comparative indifference to the transitional. Not to the transitional in itself, which is of eternal significance and result, but to the particular form of imperfection, which it may have reached at any individual moment of its infinite progression towards the complete. For no sooner have I spoken the word now than that the now is dead, and another is dying. Nay, in such regard there is no now, only a past of which we know little, and a future of which we know far less and far more. But I will not speak at all of this body of my earthly tabernacle, for it is on the whole more pleasant to forget all about it. And besides, I do not want to set any readers to whom I should, would have the pleasure of speaking far more openly and cordially than if they were seated on the other side of my writing table. I do not want to set them wondering whether the vicar be this vicar or that vicar, or indeed to run the risk of giving the offense I might give if I were anything else than a wandering voice. I did not feel as I feel now when I came, first came to this parish, for as I have said, I am now getting old very fast. True, I was thirty when I was made vicar, an age which a man might be expected to beginning to grow wise, but then I had much yet to learn. I will remember the first evening on which I wandered out from the vicarage to take a look about me, to find out in short where I was and what aspect the sky and earth here presented. Strangely enough, I had never been here before, for the presentation had been made while I was abroad. I was depressed, 
It was depressing weather. Grave doubts as to whether I was in my place in the church would keep rising and floating about like rain clouds within me. Not that I doubted about the church, I only doubted about myself. Were my motives pure? What were my motives? And to tell the truth, I did not know what my motives were, and therefore I could not answer about the purity of them. Perhaps seeing we are in this world in order to become pure, it would be expecting too much of any young man that he should be absolutely certain that he was pure in anything. But the question followed very naturally. Had I then any right to be in the church, to be eating her bread and drinking her wine without knowing whether I was fit to do her work? To which the only answer I could find was, the church is part of God's world. He makes men to work, and work of some sort that must be done by every honest man. Somehow or other, I hardly know, I find myself in the church. I do not know that I am fitter for any other work. I see no other work to do. There is work here which I can do after some fashion. With God's help, I will try to do it well. This resolution brought me some relief, but I still am depressed. It was depressing weather. I may as well said that I was not married that, and that I firmly believe I should never should be married. Not from any ambition taking the form of self-denial, nor yet from any notion that I got that God takes pleasure in being a hard master. But there was a lady, well, I will be honest, as I would be. I had been refused a few months before, which I think was the best thing that ever happened to me, except one. That one, of course, was one I was accepted. But this is not much to the purpose now, only it was depressing weather. For it is not depressing when the rain is falling and the stream of it is rising, when the river is crawling along muddily and the horses stand stock still in the meadows with their spines in a straight line, from the ears to which to where they fail utterly in the tails, <clears throat> when the river is crawling along muddily and the horses stand stock still in the meadows with their spines in a straight line, from the ears to where they fail utterly in the tails, I should only put on galoshes now and think of the days when I despised damp. Ah, it was mental waterproof that I needed then, for let me despise damp as much as I would, I could neither keep it out of my mind nor help suffering the spiritual rheumatism which it occasioned. Now the damp never gets farther than my galoshes and my Macintosh. For that is the worst kind of rheumatism. I never felt feel it now. But I had begun to tell you about that first evening. I had arrived at the vicarage the night before, and it had rained all day, and it was still raining, though not much. I took my umbrella and went out. For as I wanted to do my work, everything taking far more the shape of work to me than then in doing duty than it does now, though even now, I must confess, things have occasionally to be done by the clergyman because there is no one else to do them, and hardly from other, other motive than a sense of duty, a man not being able to shirk work because it may happen to be thirty, <coughs> a man not being able to shirk work because it may happen to be dirty, I say, 
as I wanted to do my work well, or rather because I dreaded drudgery as much as any poor fellow who comes to the treadmill and consequences, I wanted to interest myself in it, and therefore I would go and fall in love, first of all, if I could, with the country of Brown, roundabout, and my first step beyond my own gate was up to the ankles in mud. Therewith, curiously enough, arose the distracting thought how I could possibly preach two good sermons on Sunday to the same people when one of the sermons was in the afternoon instead of the evening, to which letter I had become accustomed in the large town in which I had formerly officiated as a curate in the proprietary chapel. I, who had claimed indigenous, no, I, who had disclaimed indignantly against excitement from without, who had been inclined to exalt the intellect at the expense of even the heart, began to fear that there must be something in the darkness, and the gaslights, and the crowds of faces to account for a man's being able to preach a better sermon, and for a servant girl preferring to go out in the evening. Alas, I now had to preach, as I might judge with all probability beforehand, to a company of rustics of thought, yet slower than of speech, unaccustomed to, in fact, to think at all, and that is the sleepiest, deadest part of the day, when I could hardly think of my, think myself, and when, if the weather should be at all warm, I could not expect many of them to be awake. And what good might I look at the result of my labor? <laughs> How could I hope in these men and women to kindle that fire which, in the old days of the outpouring of the Spirit, made men alive with the sense of the kingdom of heaven about them, and the expectation of something glorious at hand, just outside that invisible door which lay between the worlds? I have learned since that perhaps I overrated the spirituality of those times, and underrated, not being myself spiritual enough, to see all about me, the spirituality of these times. I think I have learned since that the person of a parish must be content to keep the upper windows of his mind open to the holy winds and the pure lights of the heaven and the side windows of a ton of speech of behavior open to the earth to let forth upon his fellow men the tenderness and truth which those upper influences being brought forth bring forth in it any region exposed to their operation. Believing in his master such a sure... <coughs> Believing in his master such a servant shall not make haste, shall feel no feverish desire, feverish desire to bold behold the work of his handle, hands, Believing in his master, such a servant shall not make haste, shall feel no feverish desire to hold, behold the hands of the work of his hands, shall be content to be as his master, who waiteth long for the fruits of his earth. Yeah, that we need to repeat that again. Believing in his master, such a servant, servant shall not make haste, shall feel no feverish desire to behold the work of his hands, shall be content to be as his master, who waiteth long for the fruits of his earth. 
but surely I am getting older than I thought, for I keep wandering away from my subject, which is this, my first walk in my new cure. My excuse is that I want my reader to understand something of the state of my mind and the depression from which I was laboring. He will perceive that I desire to do some work with calling by the name of work and that I did not see how to get a hold of the beginning. I had gone from my own gate before the rain ceased, though it was still gloomy enough for any moment to follow. I drew upon my umbrella and began to look about me. The stream on my left was so swollen that I could see it brown in patches through the green of the meadow along the banks. A little in front of me, the road rising quickly took a sharp turn to pass along an old stone bridge that spanned the water with a single fine arch. Somewhat pointed, and through the arch I could see the river stretching away up through the meadows. Its banks broadened with pollards. Now pollards always make me miserable. In the first place they look ill-used, in the next place they look the tame, in the third place they look very ugly. I had learned them to honor them on the ground that they had yet to yield not a jot to the adversity of the circumstances that if they must be pollards, they still have, will be trees, and w what they may not do with grace, they will yet do with bounty. That in short, their f life burst forth, despite all that it is done to repress and destroy their individuality. When you have once learned to honor anything, love is not very far off. At least that has always been in my experience. But as I have said, I had not yet learned to honor Polards, and therefore they made me more miserable than I was already. When having the follow of the road, I stood at last on the bridge, and looking up and down the river through the misty air, saw two long rows of these Polards diminishing, diminishing till they had vanished in both directions. The sight of them took me from all my power of enjoying the water beneath me. The green fields around me, or even the whole old world beauty of the little bridge upon which I stood. Although all sorts of bridges have been from my very infancy a delight to me. For I am one of those who never get rid of their infantile predilections, and to have once enjoyed making a mud bridge was to enjoy all bridges forever. And this is the reading the Christian Classics podcast, and we have just finished the first segment of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. It is somewhat of a self-biography of his, and uh, we're going to go through it and uh, enjoy hearing what it says and hopefully read five to more days a week, about 20 minutes. That means we probably got a long time to read. That's the plan anyways. Uh, subscribe if you'd like.